Have you ever considered the miracle of your existence? Your heart beats, but why? Your lungs breathe, but why? Your blood pumps around your body, bringing oxygen and nutrients to all of your cells, but why? Years ago, I read, a, I read a book called Darwin's Black Box, and there was a whole chapter describing the processes that happen in your blood the moment you cut yourself. There's like 39 different things, variables that happen in your blood the moment you cut yourself, and it regulates your blood clotting and your blood not creating clots that would cause other damage. It's an amazing thing. Why does that blood flow through our veins? Your eyes, they open to the world around you. But why? Aren't you glad God didn't make a black and white world? He's made such a beautiful world. Your ears open to sounds, music, and language. But why? Your hands touch and they hold, but why? Your feet carry you where you want to go, but why? And your mind thinks countless thoughts, but why? And your, and your will chooses what you will do, but why? You live on a planet that is just the right distance from the sun throughout its entire orbit. Any closer and we'd fry, and any farther away, we would freeze. We live on a planet that's 70% water, which is essential for life. We live on a planet with a moon just big enough to keep our oceans moving. We live on a planet with a strong magnetic field that protects us from cosmic rays and solar flares. Why is it that we exist? Because Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You are here because you are the direct creation of God. Genesis 1 and verse 26 reads, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God. The Bible teaches there is one God. But on the very first page of Hebrew scriptures, we get, a, we get a glimpse that our God is unique because he is a plural. You notice it says there, let us make man in our image. Then in the very next verse, it says, so God, singular, created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And that verse is very singular. God, singular, created man in his own image. The book of Genesis means beginnings. So often many of the truths of the Bible in the book of Genesis are in a seed. You know, a seed has all of the information for the plant. But when you look at the seed, you don't see what that tree is going to look like when it's fully grown or what the fruit is going to taste like when it is ready to harvest. But all that information is in the seed. And here in the book of Genesis, we see a seed about the God of creation. He was plural. Later in the Bible, the Bible says God is love. God is love. You see, God has existed for eternity from eternity past as a triune Godhead. When Jesus prayed in the New Testament, 
He talked about his father's love. You see, um, love begets love. And God created us for a love relationship with him. He experienced a love relationship for eternity past within himself. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.26 that we are created in his image after his likeness. There are some attributes of God that we will never have. The Bible tells us that God knows everything. And guess what? There's nobody in here, no matter how many doctor's degrees you have, you just know a small sliver of what there is to know. The Bible says God knows everything. The Bible also says that he is, he is all powerful. He is God almighty. Well, it wouldn't take much to prove that we are limited in our power. I could pick up that, that piano stool with no problem, but I can't pick up my truck and I can't pick up your car. Even if you drove here in a smart car, I can't pick up your car because my power is limited. But God's power is unlimited. But there are qualities of God that we can share. We are commanded to be holy like he is holy. He is a holy and perfect God. He is a holy and perfect God. Um, we are commanded to love so we can love. Um, you know, there's, there's ways that we are the same as God. I got to figure out how to, how to make sure this computer doesn't turn off. It's really a pain when it turns off in the middle of a sermon. Brother Edward, save me after the service and find out the function so your pastor doesn't look stupid every Sunday. <clears throat> we are made in the image of God. God gave us a mind. We can think rationally. We can, now the word create means to make out of nothing. You can't do that. You can't go home today and make lunch with nothing. You can't speak and make lunch. God spoke and he created the universe. However, humans, we can, we can take what God has made and we can, we can use our imagination and make the, the most interesting and the most amazing things. You won't find that in the animal kingdom. Now you'll find miracles in the animal kingdom. You'll find that the structure of a honeycomb is very intricate and very engineered to be perfect. But guess what? They only make honeycombs. They can't decide to make cars. They can't decide to make computers. Uh, you know, the, the, the monarch butterfly, it's, it's an amazing um, animal. It starts on the mountainsides of a, of a mountain in Mexico, and it flies to Texas. And in Texas, it, 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 it gives birth to another, um, another butterfly and then dies. And then that next butterfly flies to Canada. And then that butterfly dies in about September, and another butterfly is, is born. And guess what? The butterflies born in Canada are twice as big as the butterflies that are born in Mexico. And those same butterfly, those butterflies, they fly all the way back to the same mountainside in Mexico. Now that's amazing. That is, that is, that is a testimony of how great and how powerful our God is. But guess what? The butterfly can't decide, I'm going to Europe for vacation. But guess what? Humans can. We, we can go to Europe. We can go to Asia. Pray for Brother Luke. He's on a love mission for two weeks. He's, he went to Singapore yesterday. Brother Luke, if you watch this later, don't mess this up, okay? Don't mess this up. But God's given us a mind. God's given us emotions. You know, he didn't make us binary code. You know, yes, no, how are you? I saw a lot of smiles in the lobby this morning. Big smiles, huge smiles. Um, aren't you glad you didn't come to church this morning? Everybody looked like this. Looked like a black computer screen. 
No, God gave us emotions so that we can relate to him. And God gave us a will to choose. A will to choose. You are fearfully, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. You are not a cosmic mistake. You are not the result of a mindless explosion. You were designed and made by the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, perfect creator. My wife was sick all last week. Over, over eight days, she was sick. So I did the laundry for her on Monday, but I didn't do the folding of the laundry. Well, eventually, the socks ran out. Now, I don't know how many socks. I'm going to imagine there must have been at least 15 pairs of socks in one basket. You should have seen how long it took to reach into that basket and find two socks the same. There's only 30 socks in there, but boy, it was difficult to find two. I must have had, I must have had 10 different socks out before I got one match. Yeah. To think that people believe, and if you believe this, I was there at one time and believed the same thing. But to think that the intricate design of this universe happened from an explosion. I couldn't even find two socks in one basket. It took me a long time. You know, um, Psalms 139 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Listen to these words. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written. My eyelashes are my members. My fingers are my members. My teeth are my members. Everything you see about me was written in God's book. And guess how many characters in this book? Three billion characters. That is how much information is in one strand of your DNA. Three billion, you know how big a number that is? Apparently, if you said one letter of the DNA code every second, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for 365 days, after 96 years, you would have recited your DNA code. Wow. And all of that information was in that first cell. Half of it came from your mom, half of it came from your dad, and it combined three billion letters. And out of those three billion letters, God made you just the way you are. It was all in that code. And in every cell, you will find your DNA code. And if that DNA code was stretched out, it would be six feet long. Three billion characters, six feet long. And someone estimates that we have 75 trillion, wow, 75 trillion cells, all with six feet of DNA. I didn't do the math. I have no idea if this fact is true, but somebody I read this week said, if you stretch that DNA end to end, you could go to the moon and back 178,000 times. All of that information God put in your cell. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When, when David writes, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! 
If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. I think if you counted all the information in your body, it would be more than the sand by the seashores of our oceans. Truly, God's thoughts towards you are more than the number of sand. And you are unique. There's no other DNA like you. You are unique. And you are a wonderful creation of God. You are beautiful. You are amazing. Because God made you. And guess God, what? God, because you're born in his, made in his image, he didn't make temporary junk. He didn't make a disposable you. Bible tells us in Genesis 2.7, you want to look at that verse, Genesis 2.7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He sculptured you with the dust of the ground. He's an amazing artist. Now, that also keeps us humble. If you take the life out of your body, you're reduced to just a pile of dirt. But we're, not, we're much more than a pile of dirt because God has arranged it with his infinite understanding and with his infinite power. And the Bible says that you were created, you were created a living soul. The you, and, and this is something that evolution has no, doesn't even have a suggestion for. Where, where, where do you get an immaterial soul? Where, where, where do you get personality? You, you can have rocks in your garden and you can look at them all day long, but they don't have a personality. But God has put a person in your body, a soul that will live forever and ever and ever. When you read the first pages of Genesis, you learn that you were created for relationship and for purpose. When God created Adam, it says in Genesis 2.15 that the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God created Adam for a purpose. God created him to work. Work was part of God's created plan for you. You have a purpose. You're important. He didn't make you a rock. He made you a person with a purpose. Everyone in here has a great purpose. And he, he gave you a free will to choose. Look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden... Thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He didn't, he didn't create you a, he didn't create you a moral zombie, incapable of doing wrong. He created you with the opportunity to love him. Well, with love comes choice. And God gave, him, gave them complete access to the Garden of Eden, but he reserved one tree for himself. And he spelled out the consequences if that tree was eaten from. He said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In the Bible, the word death, it simply means separation. When we think of death, we think of the moment when the person leaves the body. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. One day, our, our person, our living soul, will leave our body. Spiritual death is when the soul of man is separated from God. Here in the garden, Adam and Eve and God have a relationship. They have a relationship, but they're given 
a choice. They are given a choice. God created them to bring him glory. In the very last book of the Bible, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. What is our created person, uh, pur purpose? It's to bring glory and honor to the creator of the universe. We are to reflect his glory. We are, we are to be full of thankful hearts. For everything we have is a gift from him. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to love our enemies as Christians because it says that the God of heaven is good to the unholy and to the evil. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are people that hate God, but God lets them breathe. And God lets them eat. And God lets them enjoy many things in this life. He loves all people. But our created purpose is to bring him glory. So the first question the book of Genesis answers for us is, why are we here? Why are we here? Because of the goodness of our creator God. And what is our purpose? To bring him glory. But another question we can find answered in this book is, why is there so much pain and difficulty in this world? In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are, they are seduced, they are lied to by a serpent. We know from scripture that this serpent is Satan or the devil manifested as a snake. He lies about God. He lies about the intentions of God. And Adam and Eve take of the tree and they eat of that tree. And the Bible tells us that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. The Lord God came to the garden to walk and talk with Adam and Eve but Adam and Eve were hiding. You see, what does separation, what does death mean? It means separation. Before Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they enjoyed closeness with God. But after they sinned, the Bible tells us that they, they were ashamed of their nakedness. They were ashamed of their nakedness and they took fig leaves, big leaves, and they made coverings so they wouldn't be ashamed. But God, what did he do? He took an animal and he killed the animal and he covered them with coats of skins. In Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve sinned, he brought a curse upon humanity. Genesis 3.16, under the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground <coughs> for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Why is there pain? Why is there difficulty in the world? 
it is because of sin. The Bible teaches that this sin nature, it didn't stop with Adam and Eve, but it was found in their children. And their children, their oldest son, killed their youngest son because of jealousy. The first few chapters of Genesis, they cover 10 generations of people that live to be very old. Some people live to be 900, 800, 700 years old. And by the 10th generation, the Bible says the wickedness of man was great. And the imaginations of his thoughts were only evil continually. When you read the pages of the Bible, even when you read about God's people, when you read about the children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and his 11 brothers, through every period of Israel's history, you just see a stain of sin. And guess what? Sin has been passed on to all generations. We are sinners because our parents were sinners, because their parents were sinners, because their parents were sinners, all the way back to the first parents. And Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there difficulty? Because of sin. Some, sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. Sometimes we suffer because of the sin of someone else. Sometimes we just suffer because we're, we live in a fallen world. And that brings me to the last question that we can answer this morning. And that is, why is Christ so significant? Why is Christ so important? You see, because it's through Christ's sacrifice that we can know that God loves us. It's through Christ that we can have our sins forgiven. It's through Christ that we can have a personal relationship with God. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that's eternal separation from God in the lake of fire, but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 say, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. The word manifested means to be clearly seen. Can you think of a greater expression of love than willingly dying for another human being? Recently, there was a missionary family in Guam the 18-year-old son was caught in a riptide and, and the father swam to rescue his son. They both ended up in ICU and the son died. But when his son was struggling to live, I'm sure there wasn't a second thought. He just, he just did what he could. He almost died himself. But you see, the love of God is even greater than that. We, we, the Bible says for a good man, some would even dare to die. And for our children, our wives, someone we love deeply, would we risk our lives for them? But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were, do you ever get up and you're cranky to everybody in your house? Jesus died for your crankiness. As you look at your past, do you remember that lie that you told or that immoral thought that you had? Or maybe, maybe you've been hateful to someone. Maybe you've been mean to someone. 
Jesus died at your worst place. Jesus loved you and Jesus died for you. In this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The Bible says that we're born into this world spiritually dead. But through Jesus Christ, we can be made alive. Here in his love, not that we love God. I remember as a child, I didn't want to go to church. Church wasn't fun. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to worship God. I didn't care about God. But you know, God still loved me even though I didn't care about him. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does propitiation mean? It simply means that the holy God will accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross as full payment for our sin. Because we sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty to be paid. But Jesus took that penalty. Now, in seed form, here in Genesis chapter 3, God came to that serpent and he pronounced a curse upon that serpent. And in this curse, he pronounces liberty and freedom and life for all of humanity. It says, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt, shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Enmity means separation. You see, on that day, Eve sided with Satan. Eve listened to Satan. But God said to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. He said to the woman, you're going to have a seed. You're going to have a child. And that child is going to bruise the head of Satan. Now, I think if there was a big cobra here, and it was about to kill me, I'd be very happy if there were a cowboy stood up from the congregation, that's Pastor Odom, and he bring his cowboy boots. Why do they wear those cowboy boots? To protect themselves from rattlesnakes. And I'd be glad if he took the heel of that cowboy boot and stood right on the head of that snake. You know who the cowboy, who's the child of a woman? who crushed the head of Satan, it's Jesus Christ. When you leave Genesis and you start journeying to the New Testament, it's 4,000 years of history. You'll find a trail of Jesus's lineage going through Adam and Eve, going through Noah and his sons, and then narrowing down to a family, Abraham's family the father of the Jewish people. And when you get to Christ in the New Testament, there are documented um, family trees that go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Jesus was no normal human being. He had an earthly mother named Mary, but he had a heavenly father. The Bible tells that he was conceived in the womb of Mary by a miracle. Now, because of that miracle, he was God in flesh. God in flesh. He looked like a man. He got tired like a man. He smelled like a man. He was a man. But he was all God. And because he was God, he was distinctly different. He never sinned. You know. And guess what? He grew up in a family. He had brothers and sisters. Mary and Joseph went on to have other children. 
you may think you're a pretty good person here today, but give me an interview with your brother or sister and I'd find some dirt on you. But guess what? Jesus, he never sinned in his family. Jesus followed his stepfather Joseph's path and became a carpenter. But when Jesus hit his finger with a hammer, he didn't let out a bad word. He was sinless. And when he lived in his ministry, he didn't live by himself on the mountain. He wasn't a monk by himself. No, he was a teacher that called 12 disciples to live in close proximity to himself. And yet, no one ever saw or ever experienced any sin in the life of Jesus Christ. It's important that he was sinless because the Old Testament also traces a, a history of sacrifice. It started when Adam and Eve were clothed with skins. It continued when Cain brought his fruits and vegetables and Abel brought a lamb. God had respect to Abel's sacrifice. He had no respect for Cain's sacrifice. It was, that was the root of the jealousy that caused the murder. You'll find that Abraham, you'll find that Noah offered sacrifices and Abraham offered sacrifices. God even came to Abraham once and said, I want you to offer your son. When Abraham was 100 years old, God gave him a son that would be, that would continue the lineage of the Jewish people. And God told him to take him to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Isaac laid down. He was a, he was a strapping teenager and Abraham was an old man, but he laid down willingly. And he asked his father, where, where, where's, where's, the, where's the lamb? And just before Abraham brought down the knife, there was a lamb caught in a bush. And they went and got the lamb and they offered the lamb as the sacrifice. You know, you say, that's God asked someone to offer their child. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us that Abraham believed because God already told him that Isaac was the promised seed. Abraham believed if I kill my son, God's going to raise him back up to life because God keeps his word. Thankfully, he didn't have to bring down that, that knife. But God knew beyond a doubt that he had Abraham's heart. He had his heart. You continue on, the children of Israel become slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And so God sent 10 plagues. And after every plague, Pharaoh got prouder and got more stubborn. The last plague was going to be the death of the firstborn child. But God made a way that people could escape that death. The death angel was going to pass over, but any house that had the blood of a spotless lamb on the, on the, the cross beam and on the side posts, anybody that was in a house that had blood over the doors, the death angel would not affect. And then you come to the tabernacle. You come to the tabernacle that God um, told Israel to make, told Moses to make so that they could bring sacrifices to God. And once a year on the day of atonement, a priest would go in with the blood of a goat and the blood of a bullock. And he would put that blood on the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God would come. And that blood would make an atonement, a covering for the sins of the people for one more year. Why is Jesus so significant? Because he's that child of the woman that you can trace through the pages of the Old Testament. And because he is the perfect sacrifice. When he began his ministry, he went to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist, you know what he cried out? He said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Why is Jesus significant? Because his blood is the perfect blood that will cover 
the sins of humanity. Just in closing today, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter number 14 in the New Testament. Now there's much, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read about the life of Christ and his ministry here on earth. He was a sinless man. That made him unique. But also, every sick person that came by him, he healed. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. There's one... There's two accounts where he took a, just a little bit of food. You know, less food that's in the lobby today. Less food than that. And he fed 5,000 men, and then women and children added on to it. Guess what? We can't take what's in, that, what's in that lobby and feed everybody between Kingsway and 6th Street, 10th Avenue, and Edmonds. But guess what? Jesus could. Jesus could. You know, what's dividing a few loaves and fishes if you created the world with the word of your, of your voice? Mark chapter 14. No, 15, 15. Pilate wants to let Jesus go. But the Pharisees, they're jealous and they want him crucified. In verse, verse number 12, And Pilate answered and said unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him! And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him. The word scourged means he was whipped with the cat of nine tails with 39 lashes until his back was shredded by pieces of bone and pieces of metal. And then it says, they led him forth to crucify him. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple, and they plaited a crown of thorns. Apparently the thorns were really big. And they put it on his head. And put it upon, about his head. I don't think they put it down gently. I don't think they put it down gently. Because in the next verse, verse 19, and they smote him on the head with a reed, bang, bang, bang. And doesn't say how many times they smote him. <coughs> and did spit upon him. Is there anything more demeaning than being spit on? And this is the creator of the universe. And bowing their knees, they worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. In verse 25, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him. They drove, they, they laid him on the ground, and they put steel spikes into his, into his wrists, below his hands, right, right about there. And they put one in his ankles. And when you hung on the cross... It was, it was a long, arduous death because people on the cross died of suffocation because the way they hung on the cross, their lungs couldn't breathe in oxygen. And so the person on the cross would have to pull themselves up so that their lungs would fill with air. How many hours can someone continue to do that? Well, and it says, verse 27, And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on the left. Verse 29, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. 
Likewise, also the chief priests mocking among themselves with the scribes. He saved others himself he cannot save. Verse 33, and when the sixth hour was come, that's noon hour, he was crucified at the third hour. So he's been on the cross three hours. It says there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. There was three hours of darkness. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, when Jesus was on that cross, all the sins of everyone who has ever lived, past, present, and future, were put onto Jesus Christ. He suffered on that cross for our sins. And it says in verse 37, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Remember, we mentioned the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go behind the veil. It was a thick woven veil. He would go behind it and he would put blood on the mercy seat. But the very moment that Jesus cried out, that veil, it ripped from the top to the bottom. Now, folks, that's a miracle. You know, if, if all of a sudden this, this curtain ripped in half, guess what? It wouldn't soon be forgotten. It wouldn't soon be forgotten. But you know what? That opened a way for humanity to have a relationship with God. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And his blood makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. Why did he die on that cross? Because he loves us. And was his blood sufficient to pay for our sins? It was because of his sinless life, because of its eternal qualities. It's the passageway into the presence of God. The Bible is very clear. There's no passage into heaven by your good works. It's, it's not a scale system. Most people have this figurative thing in their mind that, you know, if I got more good than bad, God's going to let me into heaven. No, the Bible says we're all bad because we're sinners. And there's only one solution. Not our works. Not our religion. You can come to Metro Baptist Church the next 50 years. But your church attendance won't get you to heaven. The only thing that'll get you to heaven is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Why are you here? Because you're the amazing creation of an infinite God. Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Because sin, because of sin in our own lives and sin in the lives of others and because it's just a broken creation. Now the whole story is that one day Jesus is going to make all things new. That Jesus is going to come again. And this world will be a different place then. But until then, we live in a broken world. But Jesus Christ, why is he significant? Because he's our way back to God. He is the Lamb of God that died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he invites you to put your faith and trust in him. He's a person. Folks, he's a person. He wants to have a relationship with you. In Revelation, Jesus is talking to churches. And it says he stands at the door and knocks. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus wants to come in. He wants to come into your life. But he's a gentleman. He didn't force Adam and Eve to be moral zombies or robots. He gave them a choice. And his gift of salvation is to everyone. But guess what? It's a choice. It's the gift of God. 
That is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift. It was paid for by Jesus, but you have to accept it. That's what a gift is. It's paid for by someone else and it's given to you freely. Salvation was paid for by Jesus and it's given to you. You just have to receive it. How do you receive it? You receive it by faith. Romans 10, 9, that if thou, that's you, shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why do we need to be saved? Because we're sinners. Who is the Savior? Jesus. And when does he save us? When we ask him. You know, we started this service today with a song. I didn't pick the song, but it's the testimony of the writer of this song. The writer, Elisha Hoffman, 1839 to 1929. He says, down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. How does God work? He works in the heart. The Holy Spirit works in the heart. And he convinces us that we are sinners. And he convinces us that Jesus is the only answer. And he convinces us that without Jesus, we're surely going to be judged guilty by God and go to a place called hell. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our heart. And if he's doing that in your heart today, then will you cry out to God? Down where for cleansing from sin, I, will you cry out to God for forgiveness of your sins? He said, I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name. You only come to Jesus once for salvation. And in that moment, He'll come into your life and he'll forgive you and he'll make you a new creature. Would you like to call upon him today to be your savior?